Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. All right, take your Bible, if you would, and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 8. We're going to be in Mark 8 tonight. Have you ever had someone get really upset with you? And it kind of came as a surprise because it just seemed like out of the blue. Um, Sometimes that can be the result of a misunderstanding. Somebody thinks that you said something or that you did something that you didn't actually say or do, and just a nice, calm conversation can help kind of smooth things over. Sometimes it's because something that you said or did was a really big deal to someone else and, and you just you didn't realize. Maybe you said something that a friend finds insensitive or, or you make a mistake at work that really didn't seem like that big a deal, but to your boss, it really mattered. You know, when that happens, and especially when it's someone that you look up to, someone whose opinion matters, it's normally a a really good idea to pay attention in those moments. Because there's a good chance that you're missing something. Something that you should probably figure out. Something that you should change in your life. Something that you've missed. We're going to read a story like that today. Jesus is with his disciples, and his disciples make what at first seems like a harmless little mistake. They, they misunderstand something that he says, and, and the disciples misunderstanding Jesus isn't something unusual. It's kind of a recurring theme of the Gospels. Jesus says something, his disciples misunderstand what he says. But Jesus gets really upset. I mean, really upset. And, and to be honest, the first time I, I read through this, and as I was reading through and you know, would come across the story, it always kind of puzzled me because it, it didn't really seem like that big of a deal. But apparently, the disciples missed something that to them seemed minor, but to Jesus seemed like a really, really big deal. And, and so what I want to do tonight is I want us to read through this story, and then we're going to kind of back up a little bit, and we're going to see what's going on so that Jesus feels this way, and, and we're going to try and, and get into the, the mind of the Savior a little bit and understand why it is that this matters so much to him. And then in the second part of our message, we're going to step back again. We're going to say, okay, what if I'm making a similar mistake? And I don't realize it. And so you're in Mark chapter 8. Let's go ahead and read verses 14 through 21. It says, Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes see ye, and having ears hear ye not? And do ye not remember? When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? Let's open with a word of prayer, and we'll unpack this together. Father, we thank you Uh, for this chance that we have to come together and to study your word. Um, We pray that tonight you would give us the mind of Christ, that as we study this passage together, that we would understand what it is uh, that your son is thinking in this situation, that we would have a little bit of understanding as to why this 
particular mistake mattered so much to him. And Father, as we study this, I pray that it would um, bear fruit in our lives. And Lord, that we would change and grow as a result of what we're studying here tonight. And we'll give you the honor and praise for we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is a message, um, believe it or not, that I'd actually uh, preached at Single Focus several years ago. Uh, we were doing a series kind of through Mark, uh, just a, a brief, and we were looking at the times uh, in Mark when uh, Christ confronts his disciples, which happens frequently in the book of Mark. Um, and it was one of those messages that really stuck with me. Uh, you know, when, when you're in a pastoral role and you're preaching several times a week, I'll be honest, sometimes I get up in front of the group and I ask, so what did we study last week? And all of a sudden my mind's scrambling because I'm trying to remember like, oh wait, what, what did we study last week? And I prepared the message. Um, but every once in a while there's a message that will really stick with you. And uh, this has been one of those messages for me. It's something that God's used to convict my heart. It's something I hope uh, can be a help to you as well. And, and as we start, <clears throat> it's important that we, that we kind of take a step back to understand why Jesus is so upset in this instance and, and to go back and to figure out what, what has been happening because this is, this is building on what's already happened. In fact, Jesus alludes to two other situations and let's take just a moment and look at those. He mentions this instance, first of all, when he fed 5,000. He had five loaves, and they fed 5,000. So turn back, if you would, to Mark chapter 6 and verse 32. Mark chapter 6 and verse 32. This is a well-known story, so we're not going to take a whole lot of time with it. It says in Mark 6, 32, and they departed into a desert place by a ship privately and the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and they ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and out went them, and came together unto him. So uh, Jesus and his disciples, they get in the boat, they try to sail to the other side, they sail to the other side, and everybody watches them and outruns them to get there before them. And so they show up on land, and there's all of these people. So Jesus comes out, verse 33, he saw much people, he's moved with compassion toward them, and so he teaches them. And, and as the day uh, is far spent, we're told... Um, that in verse 37, or verse 36, the disciples come up and they, they say to Jesus, hey, send these people away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. And the disciples, you know, they were expecting a little kind of a getaway, maybe a little bit of a retreat. So you can imagine when you're expecting something like that and then there's people there, uh, that might be a little bit frustrating. So the disciples say, hey, it's late. Let's just send everybody home so that they can get food. We know the story Jesus said unto them, give, give ye them to eat. You give them something to eat. And the disciples, what are we supposed to give them to eat? Well, what do you have? Well, we've got five loaves and there's 5,000 people here. And we have the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And then after that, there's this uh, story of, of Jesus walking on the water. And, and again, the disciples, they don't do really well with this. They're terrified. They thought he was a ghost. Verse 49, they supposed it had been a spirit. And notice what we see um, in verse 50. It says, For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. They missed it. They were so frustrated, so disappointed, so begrudging that Jesus is feeding 5,000 people 
And probably the entire time the disciples are, are just frustrated that they have to keep working instead of being able to have the, the relaxing vacation with Jesus they thought they were going to have. And so we have this crossing of the sea and Jesus walking on the water and they don't get it because their hearts were hardened. Well, fortunately, when we fail tests, God sometimes lets us retake the test. And so the disciples are basically put in the exact same situation in Mark chapter 8. Um, Mark chapter 8, verse 1, In those days, the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called unto his disciples and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, um, for divers, or many of them, came from afar. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? <laughs> Guys, really? Where are we going to get food for all these people, Lord? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. Now, th this is incredible. It it's almost ironic. Jesus feeds 5,000 with five loaves of bread, we now have 4,000 and seven loaves of bread. This should actually be easier. And yet, the disciples, they, they don't get it. They haven't learned their lesson. And so, there's kind of this back and forth. Verse 8, So they did eat and were filled, and they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets, and when they had eaten, uh, were about 4,000, and he sent them on their way. So there's a story about food, and much like Israel in the wilderness, Israel is given the same exact, or, or, or uh, the disciples are given the same exact test, and like Israel, they failed the test a second time. And then we note this interesting story in verse 10. It says, And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall be no sign given unto this generation. And he left them and entering into the ship again departed to the other side. Now, there's a couple of interesting things to note about this interaction. First of all, it looks like Jesus was planning on having a slightly longer stay that's cut short. Right? He comes over into this area in the way this is presented, it's almost as if he walks into town, the Pharisees come out and meet him, they have this interaction, and then Jesus turns around, gets in the boat, and leaves. We also see that Jesus is, is pretty shaken by this encounter. He, he's upset by it. We read in verse 12, it says, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. This interaction really bothered Jesus. Why did it bother Jesus? Well, uh, note what the Pharisees are saying here. No, pay attention to, what, to what's really going on. The Pharisees come up and we're told that they're tempting him. They're testing him. They're not coming because they want to know, okay, Jesus, are you really who you claim to be? They're coming because they're trying to poke holes in who he says he is. And a lot of people have noted this is kind of an interesting time to be asking Jesus to do a sign. Because he just fed 4,000 people. And Jesus feeds 4,000 people, and then he comes to this area, and the Pharisees come up and they demand a sign from him, but not just any sign. No, carefully it says, a sign from heaven. Hey, Jesus, do something in the heavens. That will prove to us that you're really the, who, who you say you are. And we already know 
from the rest of the verse that they're doing this as a way to test him. That they come up to him filled to the brim with unbelief, having just at least either watched or heard of this incredible miracle, and Jesus shows up into their town now, and they immediately rush out to meet him. They say, whoa, 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 before you come here, we want to see a sign. And not this feeding everybody type thing that you've been doing. We want to see a sign from heaven. And this, this bothers Jesus. It bothers him a lot to see this kind of raw, unbridled unbelief that in the report of an amazing miracle that testifies to Jesus being who he says he is, their response is one of unbelief. This isn't the only time that Jesus gets upset like this. There are other instances in Scripture where Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark even, where Jesus, when he's met with the Pharisees and with the unbelief, becomes upset. In fact, Mark chapter 3 and verse 5 states, says, um, I'm going to go up to verse uh, one. It says, And he entered into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand, and they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. They wanted to see, Is he going to heal this guy? He's not supposed to. It's Sabbath. You're not supposed to do work on the Sabbath. And that includes healing people in their minds. And so Jesus asks them, is it okay to do good on the Sabbath? And they don't say a word. Verse 5, and when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. You know, when Jesus saw spiritual unbelief, when Jesus saw people with hearts hard toward God and toward his ministry, it really bothered him. Does it bother us? Do we even notice? And so understanding a little bit of this background, let's now come to verse number 14. We understand Jesus got, has this big picture of what's going on. The disciples, they didn't get it the first time when he fed the, the 5,000. Now he's fed the 4,000 and they, they don't seem to really be, it doesn't really seem to be clicking with them. And we get to verse 14, it says, Now the disciples had forgotten to take with them bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They get into the boat, and Jesus starts having a conversation with his disciples, and he says to them, Guys, watch out, be careful. Be careful of the Pharisees and, and be careful of Herod. We don't have time to, to look at Herod, but Herod had recently killed John the Baptist. He'd beheaded him um, because he found himself at the middle of a, a really uh, bad promise that he'd made. And somebody asked, we'll, we'll, we'll kill John the Baptist. And so he decided to do it. And he's somebody who heard John the Baptist and kind of liked what he heard, but it, but it was against him. So he also threw him in jail. And, and, and he knew the truth, and, and, but he wasn't persuaded of it. And Jesus looks at Herod and he looks at the Pharisees. And he sees a connection there of, of the fact that they are being faced with the truth of Jesus, faced with the truth of the gospel and of the kingdom, and they reject it. And Jesus is aware of this fact. That unbelief is like leaven. It's contagious. It can spread. Why did Jesus get out of Delmutha? I think he got out of there because he was concerned about his disciples. 
because he knew that being in that kind of an atmosphere was going to be absolutely toxic for them spiritually. And so he's like, we, we've, we've got to get out of here. And he gets into the boat and he warns them, guys, you've got to be careful. You've got to watch out for the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. Leaven is an agent that you put into, into dough. It's like it's, a yeast is an example of leaven. You, you put it in there and, and it's an image that's been used in Scripture um, of sin before because the thing about leaven is it only takes a little to make a big impact. And you only have to throw in a little bit of leaven and it just goes all throughout the dough and it just, it changes the entire composition. It only takes a little bit. And so Jesus is, is concerned for his disciples. He's, he's concerned for them and he says to them, beware the leaven of, the scri- or of, the, of Herod and of the Pharisees. You know, unbelief is a dangerous, deadly, poisonous sin. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I want us to understand why it is that Jesus gets so concerned about this because I think as we do, we're going to begin to realize why it is that he gets so upset with his disciples like he does. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Hebrews 12, 15 says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, the root of bitterness is often understood, just kind of popularly, as bitterness. This is a verse that's often used to warn against bitterness. But root of bitterness is actually probably a reference to an Old Testament passage that talks about a bitter root, or in the King James, a root Um, of gall and wormwood. Let me read it to you because not only does it use similar language, but the idea that it's communicating, I think, is is very similar as well. um, In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 18, um, Moses is speaking and he warns, he says, lest there should be among you a man or a woman or a family or a tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood, and it come to pass when when he heareth the words of this curse, that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart. What is he saying? Well, this isn't a passage that's warning if someone apostatizes, if they go after idols, then they need to be cut off from the community. They need to be stoned. Why? Because a person like that becomes a bitter root whose poison spreads and infects the entire community. Because if the community looks on somebody with a heart full of unbelief who says, you know what, I don't care, I'm just going to live the way I want to live, that can have a disastrous effect on the people around them. And I think this is what the author of Hebrews is picking up on when he says, looking diligently lest any man fail the grace of God. What is the author of Hebrews worried about? People who leave Jesus to go back to the world, to go back to the way they used to do things, to go back to Judaism and, and the system that they, that they fall away. And just as the Old Testament in Deuteronomy is worried that, the nation, that Israel is going to fall away and go back to the ways of the nations, the author of Hebrews is worried that the Hebrew Christians are going to fall away from Jesus and go back to the empty, dead forms of Judaism And he warns them, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. And here's the thing, it says, and thereby many be defiled. Unbelief 
can have a dangerous, poisonous, toxic effect, not just on the person who is filled with unbelief, but also on the people around them. Jesus Jesus knows this. And so he pulls his disciples out, gets them out of there, and he warns them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, beware the leaven of Herod. And what do they say? Oh, no. We forgot the bread. You can can see how if if Jesus has these, these really deep spiritual concerns for his disciples, that to hear, oh, no, we forgot the bread, might be a little bit frustrating. You see, the reality was they had just faced a very real spiritual threat And the reality was that they had a very real physical need. Both things were happening at the same time. And Jesus' focus was on the spiritual, and the disciples' focus was on the physical. It it was on the temporal. It's apparently the case that uh, rabbis would often um, give small, menial tasks to their disciples, things like getting the bread, and, and you can almost imagine the kind of conversation that would ensue among the disciples. Jesus says to them, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And you can almost kind of see them looking at each other and say, oh no, guys, we forgot the bread. Weren't we supposed to get more? Peter, weren't you supposed to get more? You didn't have the money. Wasn't Judas? Judas, didn't you give the money? You gave it to Andrew. You were supposed to give it to Peter. Oh no, what are we going to do? Right? And they're getting all worked up about this and they're focused on this. And okay, what are we going to do? And Jesus turns around and, and he, he asks questions which takes a little bit of the edge off. But these are some pretty edgy questions. These are, some, these are some pretty sharp statements that come from the mouth of our Lord. Why reason ye? Because ye have no bread. Perceive ye not. He asks them basically, don't you understand? Neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Jesus asks his disciples, guys, what's wrong with you? Are your hearts hardened? I'm sure if you're Andrew or Peter or um, Philip or Bartholomew, you're just kind of sitting there thinking to yourself, what just happened? We, just, we, we thought we were out of bread. And Jesus goes on to make a very important point. He says this. He says, when I break the five loaves among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took he up? And they said unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among 4,000, how many baskets full of fragments took he up? And they said seven. Okay, he's making a point by asking these questions. What's the point? The point is, guys, bread is not a problem. I can take care of the bread. There's something much more serious going on right now. And you're totally zoned out to it. You're not paying attention. And if we were to keep reading the story, we would realize that part of the reason that Jesus is so frustrated is not just what has happened, but what's about to happen. Because if we keep reading in just a few verses, Jesus is going to be revealing to his disciples the fact that he's the Messiah. That's going to be exciting. And then a few verses later, he's going to have to explain to them that the Messiah doesn't necessarily mean everything they think it means. Because being the Messiah also means that he's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and be killed. And when he says that, it goes about as bad as he could have imagined. He literally has one of the disciples tell him no. 
No, that's not going to happen. And so Jesus knows that, that they need to get their eyes off of the physical plane and into the spiritual plane because a lot's about to happen and things are about to move forward. And he's just given them this same exact lesson two times and they're failing it for a second time. And he decides, you know what, it's time to be a little bit more firm now. We could sum up the principle that we learn here this way. Christ is concerned for the disciples, is concerned because for the disciples, okay, I'm sorry. Christ is concerned because for the disciples, the physical and the temporal has overshadowed the spiritual and the eternal. Christ is concerned because for the disciples, the physical and the temporal has overshadowed the spiritual and the eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Why is Jesus so frustrated with his disciples? That's our first question. Our answer is this. Because the disciples are allowing the physical and the temporal to overshadow the spiritual and the eternal. So here's where we start meddling a little bit. Let's ask the second question. What about us? Are we ever guilty of that? I mentioned earlier that this is a message that's really stuck with me. It stuck with me because as I was preparing this message, God convicted my heart and asked me the question, Ben, do you pay attention to the physical and the temporal, and see those dangers as bigger and realer, and, and uh, do those kinds of problems fill your vision so much so that you tend to ignore or minimize the spiritual dangers that you face? I, to be honest, I started thinking of my role as a father. Let me just talk to the dads for a minute in the room. Dads, it's our job as the leader of our homes, to be the protector. And when we hear that, when you hear it's your job to be the protector, my mind immediately starts going to the physical, right? We got simply safe. Why did we get simply safe? We got simply safe because I wanted to protect my family. Uh, we have insurance. Uh, we live in 21st century America, man alive, we have insurance for everything. Why? Well, we've got life insurance, we've got health insurance, we've got car insurance, we've got home insurance, you can get umbrella insurance in case you somehow missed one of the insurances. <laughs> we've got disability insurance, you buy a laptop, they're like, did you want to get that insured? Right, e everywhere you turn, there's another insurance. Why? Because we, we know that your house could burn down or you could get into a car accident or you might get sick and, and we just, we want to make sure that we're prepared and we're ready for all of those things. And by the way, I, I'm going to say this now, I'm going to say this again and again as we go through this. That's not necessarily bad, okay? We have all of the insurances, right? We have Simply Safe. That's not a, a bad thing. But is that the main thing? When we think about dangers, is that where our mind immediately goes? You know, we live in a culture, especially here in America, that is obsessed with safety. I realized this when we were about to have our first child. 
And we were going through and buying all the different stuff. And everything's talking about safety, that, you know, safety this, got the safety feature, these safety features, which is great, and I'm thankful for all of that. But the one that really made me scratch my head was when we went to buy a car seat. And, and we're, we're Facebook Marketplace people, okay? If it's, if it's in good condition and it's used and we can get it for like 50% of the price, we're good with that. And so we were looking at car seats and I said to, to you know, Brittany's like, well, car seats can be kind of expensive. I said, well, you know, can we get them on Marketplace? And she said, well, you can, but, you know, they may be close to their expiration date. That was not a joke. <laughs> car seats have an expiration date. And I, you know, I said, well, I mean, what do they do if your car seat expires? She's like, oh, they won't let you out of the hospital if you don't have a car seat that's not been expired yet. I said, are you serious? She said, yeah, and if, if you get pulled over and, you know, for some reason they check the car seat and it's, it's expired, you can get in trouble, okay? Now, I don't know why car seats have expiration dates. I'm sure that there's a good reason out there for it. My point is simply this. We are really, really concerned, perhaps even in some cases consumed with safety and protection, and keeping, keeping all of the things that we have, keeping it away from all of the dangers and preparing for every possible eventuality. And yet, there are things that are way, 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 way more important. And you know what? I can, I can make sure that my family is safe. I can protect them from dangers. We may have a burglar and Simply Safe will go on and go off and I, I, I protected my family. And that's good. That's not a bad thing. And if I'm not paying, but if I'm not paying attention to the spiritual dangers that are around, then my kids may grow up in a very safe home and go on to, to walk away from the Lord. And, and if that happens, I've missed it. The, the last year and a half have perhaps for some people been a very fearful time. And, and I'll be honest, I've really struggled the last year and a half to not allow the physical and the temporal to overshadow the spiritual. Whether it's COVID, whether it's um, vaccines or fear of vaccines, whether it's political turmoil of what's going to happen and what if they take away this right or what if this happens, it can get really easy to get really stirred up about a lot of things that are going on. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have an appropriate degree of, of caution. And I'm not saying that those things don't matter. But I am saying we've got to be really careful because we can fall into the trap of, of, of being so obsessed and so consumed with those that we miss the real dangers. We talked in our lesson about the danger of unbelief. L let's work through a couple of other dangers that are, that are more dangerous than physical dangers because the worst thing that can happen with a physical danger is that we lose a life. The worst thing that can happen with a spiritual danger is that we lose a soul. That's what Jesus said. Don't fear those that can destroy the body, Okay. Fear him who's able to cast body and soul into hell. The physical is real and we need to pay attention to it, but the spiritual is far, far more important. What are some of the, as we close, let's just look at, at a few of the spiritual dangers that we have to be aware of. What about the spiritual danger of pride? Again, going back to when I, when I first was preparing this message, this was one of the thoughts that really just God convicted my heart with. The greatest danger to my family is my spiritual pride. If I, as the leader of our home, allow myself to become proud and arrogant and self-reliant, that will do far greater damage to my family than not getting simply safe. You think about pride. Pride is what led to the fall of Satan. I will be like the Most High. 
Boy, that kind of pride will ruin you. Pride is what led to Eve's eating of the fruit. You can be like God, knowing good and evil. Pride is an insidious monster that shows up in our lives in more ways than we would like to admit. And pride is one of those invisible sins. It's so easy to see in other people, right? Oh man, you can see a proud person from a hundred, a hundred feet away. It's really hard to see it in a mirror. Other people, they're proud. Me, I'm not proud. So let me ask you, as you take personal inventory, do you recognize the danger of unbelief? Do you recognize the danger of pride? What about this one? The danger of ingratitude. The danger of ingratitude. Again, talking about messages that that really stick with you. I was at college for, well, eight years. And um, in those eight years of college, I sat through a lot of uh, college chapels. And one of the messages that most clearly sticks out in my mind was a message by um, one of the teachers there, and it was on the theme, his, his thesis for his message was, ingratitude is a wicked, wicked sin. And it was kind of an unusual message because, you know, normally with that you'd have point one, ingratitude is a wicked, wicked sin because, ingratitude is a wicked, wicked sin because, point two, he didn't do that. He just went through story after story after story in Scripture of people who were not thankful and the way it absolutely destroyed their lives. He, he started off, in, in the beginning, he started off um, uh, with, I can't remember all the examples that he used, but you, you go all the way back to the beginning, you've got Adam and Eve, they weren't thankful for what God had provided for them, they wanted more. You go to the, the children of Israel who are just constantly whining and complaining he, he went through example after example in Scripture and came to the conclusion every time ingratitude is a wicked, wicked sin. And man, that's convicting because we don't think that way. So as, as, as you do a, a, a SWOT analysis on your life or maybe on your family, have you heard of SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? As you think through, what are some of the biggest threats that I face right now? Where does pride rank on that list? Where does unbelief rank on that list? Where does ingratitude rank on that list? Where does apathy rank on that list? Just skipping, skipping times of prayer, skipping times of fellowship with the Lord and His Word day by day, just kind of going through the motions and not really plugging in at church. I mean, showing up when, when I can and, and you know, doing, giving, giving the bare minimum. Have you ever Have you ever thought about the the spiritual damage in your life if you just allow yourself to become um, apathetic and lethargic and lazy in your own spiritual walk? What about the danger of wrong friends? Um, Do you realize that Proverbs over and over warns you, again, warns you about the type of people uh, that you hang out with? And yeah, that's true for teenagers. It's true for adults, too. So let me ask you, do you find yourself feeling more at home with your coworkers at work? And do you find yourself beginning to think like and adopt the, their ways of, of looking at life? Or, or do you find yourself more at home at church when you're gathered uh, with other believers and surrounded with people who share your values and share your worldview? Do you recognize the danger of, of wrong friends? Do you recognize the danger of, of personal sin habits? Things that you're like, well, yeah, I know I shouldn't do that, and that's bad, and I, one of these days I'll get to that, but it seems to be under control. It seems to be pretty well managed. What about the danger of anger, bitterness, unforgiving spirit? It's interesting in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 
Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgive it, for your sakes, I forgive it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage on us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I think that's interesting. Paul ties a lack of forgiveness with, as, a, as a tactic of Satan. And so there may be a lot of things in your life that are concerning, and there may be a lot of needs on your heart and on your mind, but have you forgiven everyone that you can think of? Have you allowed bitterness to grow in your heart? Because if you can, that's far more dangerous than losing your job. That's, that's a much bigger deal than, uh, than having your home breaking in, broken into. There are dangers all around us. Temporal concerns can blind us to spiritual truth. The greatest danger in our lives are always the spiritual dangers. And so often those are the dangers that we fail to take seriously. And so, as we conclude tonight, I want to wrap up by asking you this question. If I was to hand out tonight when we came in a sheet of paper, just a half sheet of paper, and it was blank, maybe had five lines on it, and I asked you before this message, I want you to write down the five greatest dangers that you face, okay? And you didn't know everything that we just talked about because that would be cheating. Um, if you were just to write down before you came into the service tonight, what are the five greatest threats that I face? And you were to write them down. And then Jesus Christ was to walk in and was to take the sheet and was to just kind of look over your list. What would his reaction be? Would, let me ask you this. Would he agree with your list? Would he say, yeah, those... Those are some real concerns. Those are things that we need to be aware of. Again, I, I want to be careful. I'm not saying that, that we don't need to be concerned about things that are happening in the world. I'm not saying that Scripture has a lot to say about wisdom and preparing for the future. But I, I just think we really have to be careful. I'll, I'll be honest. As I've looked um, in my own life and I've looked in the lives of others, this seems to be a recurring theme, and it's a theme that comes up in Scripture over and over again, where we, we focus on the physical and we don't pay attention to the spiritual and to the eternal. We all face the danger that the disciples faced. And that is allowing the physical and the temporal to overshadow the spiritual and the eternal. You know, the, the story in Mark kind of ends on a funny note. Um, other, other gospel writers, as they relate this story, they kind of let you know. And then the disciples understood what he was talking about. Mark doesn't do that, and I, I think he doesn't do that on purpose because I think he wants to leave the question hanging in the air. Because Jesus asks these kind of pokey questions to his disciples, and he leaves it in verse 21, and he says, And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? Don't you get it? And I think the reason that Mark kind of leaves that hanging is because he's asking us the same question tonight. Do you understand? Do you get it? Beware that the physical and the temporal not be allowed to overshadow the spiritual and the eternal. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org 
or check us out on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.